questions that, of course, depend upon how our, um, our study is going. So here's the first thing I want to share before we get started, and we have a word of prayer. Um, on your monthly... Uh, on your monthly, if you, read, if you read through your monthly this morning, I talked about a guy that I'm seeing. If you can turn me up just a little bit or go a little higher, I can bring a little higher. I talked about a guy named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Anybody ever heard of Dietrich Bonhoeffer before? Okay, nobody. Good. Okay, so Dietrich, there's, you can get Christian books about him. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a guy, um, he's, he's appreciated by kind of uh, more progressive theologians and conservative theologians. He was a guy in the 1940s who was a pastor at the time in Nazi Germany when World War II was happening. This guy came from a pretty wealthy family. He could have, he could have chosen to live in the States. Um, he was in the States at a time, was going to escape what was happening in Nazi Germany because he was no longer allowed to have his church that did not sign the Aryan, Aryan paragraph, which basically meant that they were going to support the Nazis. And so he had to make a choice whether he would return to Germany and still, um, and still serve God and still be a pastor and he chose to come back to Germany. Now, he ended up being a part of a plot to execute Adolf Hitler, which eventually got him executed. Now, but this guy is really beloved from, from both sides, when I say more progressive theologians and conservative theologians, because he was an activist, uh, but he was also a guy that just loved God. His theology was really solid and really strong. And one of the things that I wrote in there today that I want us to kind of be a theme for what today is all about is that when people, there's a lady that was sitting under Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and when she heard him teach, she described his teaching. She said this was the first person that I had ever heard where he wasn't just talking about lofty ideas. It seemed as if the words of God were coming out of him, as if it were living water that was coming out. These weren't just ideas or concepts. This was real Life. This was the presence of God. This was stuff that was bringing forth transformation. And so that's, first off, my fear when we come in a moment where this is usually a time when it is my goal as a pastor to encourage you, to affirm, to affirm you, to give you the word of God, and to give you something that you will walk away and apply to your life. Now, we are going to get three heavy chapters in Matthew that have some complex things. And so with just the 30 minutes that we have today, I don't want this to be too much about lofty ideas. I'm happy to answer some of those questions. But the goal, even in our interactive study, is to let the presence of God speak to us. And the way the Lord speaks to us oftentimes is through community. And so that's what I hope happens today. I want to be focused at the end of the day. I want to be a lot more focused on the devotional use of Scripture Rather than understanding all of these crazy, there's a lot of stuff in Matthew 10 through 12, and we're not going to figure all of it out today, I promise you. Um, but hopefully it allows for, for greater hunger for the word and some things that you begin to take home and engage yourself. And so let's pray that this would be a, a time together where we would hear the Lord's voice and we would respond to his word to us today. So Jesus, you're alive. This is your word, as we've, as we've said. It's living and active. It's alive and active. It is present. But it is the goal of each and every one sitting in this pew that this would not just be another Sunday. This would be a Sunday where you allow them to speak to them and speak to them in such a way that it would bring about change, eternal change in their life. That is the choice of everyone that sits here right now. So, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would soften their hearts to sense what you are calling them to do today. And may we respond to your word. In Jesus' name, 
<clears throat> Amen. <clears throat> well, I'm, well, I'm not going to, because there's so much to read and so much to talk about, I'm going to just, I have to just pick a few things um, to talk about. I'm kind of going through a lectionary time. This is kind of the closest thing to a lectionary where I'm, I'm not really uh, choosing passages because I want to preach on them. I'm choosing them because they're next. Okay, so Matthew 10 through 12 is the next section of Scripture um, that came after what we, we taught on last week. And so we have the text of Scripture to wrestle with today. And so my very first question, I want you to take a look at these very tough passages that we've talked about before in Matthew 10, 21 and Matthew 10, 37 through 39. So I'm going to read those to you. Matthew 10, 21 says this, Brother will betray brother to death and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. And then here's what it says in verses 37 through 39. It says, Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. And whoever finds their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Now, that first part of question one, how do you handle Matthew 10, 21 and 10, 37 through 39? I'm sure you've heard me mention it before, um, whether you've adapted what I've said as your own. My question is simply, you've read these passages in Scripture before if you've been in church most of your life. What do you do with this? What does that mean to you? How do you handle that? What is your response? What, what do you believe about that passage? What is it saying to you? Leanne. What's the this that's going to happen? What's the this is going to, that's going to happen? You said that this is going to happen, but there's a bigger picture. What do you mean by that? Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. So that there will be some conflicts within your family, but the bigger picture is what the Lord is calling us to do. Anyone else? How do you handle this? Nick? Dean, you may have just signed yourself up for uh, microphone duty just now. Great point. Great point. Bruce, and then, Mom, do you have your hand up? Do you want the microphone next? I'm going to get Bruce, and then, okay, we got her next. 
Joe's family pretty, it should be pretty high on our priorities, but God still wants to be first. Yeah. He doesn't want us to use our families as a stumbling block. Oh. Don't use our, that's what, that's what, that's what I say when I hear a good point. Oh, all right. Good. We can't use our family as an excuse not to serve God and put him first. Yeah, that's good. Great point. Great point, yeah. And, and the other thing is, people are going to hate us if we stand up for God. They're not going to like our ways. And if we choose God over our brother and sister, they're not going to understand it. But we have to choose God first over anything. Yes, great point. And I, I want to say um, the, the, the next piece of that is, does the context of the scripture being in a more patriarchal culture bring any better understanding? And let's, let's be clear. I think, and you guys have all got this. This point wasn't ever meant to be brash or rude, but it was meant to, to bring forth an understanding of exactly what it means to follow Christ. What's kind of loaded in this text that we don't see because we don't have the same kind of culture today was that your family was your 401k. Your family was your future, meaning when I say your 401k, who was going to take care of you? Where were you going to live when you got older? It was going to be the kids that you raised and the, the, the community around you. And so most cases, it also meant the class systems didn't change very much. You understand that at that point in history, the class systems kind of always stayed the same. So what you were going to do the rest of your life was pretty much what your parents were doing. You were going to take over the family trade, whatever the family trade was. And so that was your future. That was what you knew to be your livelihood. So that when Jesus is saying this about leaving mother and father as well, it's like you've you got to even be willing to leave this livelihood behind. If this is what it will mean for you to follow me, will you leave your security behind and, and trust me with your future? And so that was a very big, very bold statement. And so what is the key? Maybe somebody could give us this one. What's the key application that we should glean from with these passages? I think Bruce hit it home, but anybody else want to share? So what's the key point here for this first question? Anybody else want to bring it home for us? Keep your, Keep your eye on the prize. And what's the prize? The Super Bowl trophy? I didn't even, I, didn't, I wasn't even going to acknowledge the Super Bowl today. I mean, who cares? Who cares? Uh, go ahead, go ahead. There is a game later today. Um, a couple teams playing in NFL. Go ahead. Jake, what were you saying? Yes. All right. We'll go ahead and move on to the next question if there's, if there's no other thoughts about this one. And this one, this gets us into Matthew chapter uh, 11. So I'm going to le- read Matthew 11, 1 through 6. Are you just trying to turn me up because I'm quiet and we're getting more feedback? Are any of those mics on? If any other mics are on, just turn them off, and that will cut that feedback. Matthew 11, 1 through 6. It says, After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the the towns of Galilee. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, Go back and report to Jesus. To John, what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Now, by looking at that passage, and perhaps what maybe you know about. Jewish uh, messianic expectation, what 
what do you think about the answer to that? Do you think that, that do you think that Jesus gave John the Baptist the answer that he wanted to hear? You say yes because he, because Jesus gives all these signs. He, he shares the signs of what he said he would do. He's affirming all that. Well, do we, let's take a look at where John the Baptist is in verse two. Where's John the Baptist at right now? Yeah. What do you think John the Baptist is expecting Jesus is going to do for him? If he's the Elijah that was to come, and, and Jesus is the Messiah that's supposed to come with the government on his shoulders and be the, the new ruler, the new king of all of Israel, John the Baptist is saying, hey, Jesus, I'm still here. You know, I thought, you if, if, are you the Messiah? Are you the one that, that we said that we are, that, that, that we were supposed to be? I'm not here. I don't know what's going on. And then Jesus gives all the signs of the Messiah. And here's what he says in verse 6. He says, blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. He's saying to John, John, I'm exactly who you were waiting for. I am the one that was, you are the one that was to come before me, and I am the Messiah. He is affirming these signs. Those are Jewish messianic signs. But he's also saying, I'm not going to get you out of prison. What is that going to do to your faith if you're John the Baptist? You, you are, it's it's going to make you mad. He's expecting things to work out differently than they are. I mean, I know that's never happened to any of you before, right? I mean, things have always worked out exactly like you thought that they would. And God showed up and, and it worked out just as you had planned, right? That's the way it always happens? No, not the way it happens at all. And so this whole, um, this kind of gets into our next question in, in, in question number three. It says, there's an ongoing theme in all of Matthew chapter 11 that starts here with John the Baptist. It is that God is right in front of you, but you don't recognize him because. Now, I want you to help me fill in that because blank. And if you want to skim through and look at some of the other things that happen in Matthew chapter 11, what, and so you could either make this biblical, you can look at an example right in Matthew chapter 11, what were the becauses that kept people from recognizing who this was? Or what's something in your own life that maybe you could share that keeps you from recognizing God moving right in front of you, but you don't see him because what? I'd love to hear from you for this one. Either something in scripture or something from your personal experience. Stephanie. You get so wrapped up in the worries and the cares of life that you forget to look for God. Good. Tracy. Because it's not what you want to see. It's not what you want to see. It's not what you were expecting. It's not what you're hoping for. <laughs> hey. Somebody over here, raise your hand next. So he has to come back that way. Because it goes against the world. Because it goes against the common trend of culture. It goes against what everybody else is doing. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, God would, God would work in a way that is counter to our culture? Does that make, does that make sense? Anyone else? What are some of the... Be- I like the way it says it. You expect it to be a reed swaying in the wind, but you don't know 
<laughs> yeah. yeah, I love, I just realized what, she, what she's saying. So there's this, um, well, reeds swaying in the wind, wind, there was like a prophecy, right? And there was a prophecy of what, the, of what the Elijah that was to come would look like. And then here he is, this radical guy eating locusts and wild honey, which is like, you know, kind of like, this is like a strange dude, like strange guy, camel's hair, you know, barely has any clothes on, is kind of what they're saying. Um, it, this weird dude is the Elijah. And here's all these, here's all these fixed up religious people coming out to see him too. They're like, he's not like us. You know, he's, he's, he's not, this, this guy can't be who he says he is. This can't be the Elijah that was to come. Um, and, and this is kind of what, what Jesus is presenting to them. Like, what did you come out to see? What really, what were you looking for? Were you looking for somebody to look just like you? Were you looking for somebody that did things exactly the way you wanted them to, that fit right into your box? Or were you coming out to see a prophet? And Jesus says, I tell you, there is no greater prophet than this guy who, uh, who ushered in and brought forth the kingdom of God. And he's saying that about a guy who, in just a couple more chapters over, is going to be executed, and they're going to parade his head around town on a platter. That was the honor for this prophet that would one day become a martyr for this cause. Anyone else? Any other, any other because? Any other because that stands in our way? We often don't see God moving right in front of us. God is often moving right in front of us, but we don't recognize him because. <laughs> Just when you sat down. Go ahead. I'll wait till I get the microphone. Because you try to take control? Yes. And we try to be the one, and we don't recognize God's there to help us. Great answer. Great answer. Uh, the, uh, I, I like that answer a lot, because this is exactly what we all like to do. We have to, to stick our hands in and fix it. But I think that, I hope that as you've, if, as you've journeyed on your walk with the Lord, that you've come to understand that what it means to letting God I just use the word let. Letting God move in your life is more about receiving rather than fighting for, rather than striving for. I mean, that's what we got to do in the world, right? And I'm not saying that's not biblical. We need to work hard. We need to, um, we need to wake up early every morning. We need to put in a lot of blood, sweat, and tears to make things happen. And that's part of what it takes to, to, to accomplish things, to get things done, to move forward. That is, that is not a foreign biblical concept. That is true. But what it means to let God move in your life really means to let and to uh, allow him to move and be obedient to what he has called you to do. It's more about receiving what God has called you to do. Any other thoughts on number three before we move on to the last one? Yeah. I feel that and tried to get a kidney that I would have found out about my heart problem because they are the ones that caught it. My EKG looked good and I just really feel that God led me to do what he wanted me to do yeah. as far as getting a kidney to find out about my heart. Yeah. So I really feel that strong about that. Yeah. Amen. Any other thoughts for our next question? You're scared. You, so you do recognize it or you don't recognize it? You recognize it, but you're scared? 
like you feel it, but you're like, oh well, I don't want to do that. Like with me trying to do the youth group, I was like, I can't do it. I'm like, I want to serve God. And you're like youth group, but I'm like, no. <laughs> yeah. Because you're scared. Yeah. So you say, well, that can't be God. Gotcha. That can't be God because that sounds like it would be something hard. Lord would want me to do anything that's challenging and could possibly bring conflict in my life. That can't be God, right? American snobby Christian. That's what we always do. That's what we always think. We always think we're going to be delivered something in a package with a bow, and this is the gift of God. But sometimes it comes like a man in overalls, and it looks like work. And, and, and that is the will of the Lord for our life. Let's get to this last question. And this is, we've, guys, if you read through these chapters, there's a lot of heavy stuff, and I mean it. I think we're going to have a little bit of time that I don't mind if you ask me some questions, and I'll give you my best shot. There's, there's one thing in, this, in these books that is, for my personal opinion, is one of the most paradoxical things in Scripture that I, I barely have an answer for, so hopefully you don't ask me. But number four is this. It says, to understand what's, what the science... So let's read 1239. I'm going to go to chapter 12. Verses 39. We get into, if you would kind of skim through 12, look in 22, they get into a discussion about casting out demons, and the Pharisees are attributing Jesus' works to the works of Beelzebul, and Jesus is saying, well, if I'm Beelzebul, then, then, then that, the kingdom of Beelzebul is divided, and I'm casting out, you know, I'm casting out these things by the kingdom of Beelzebul, so this kingdom would be divided. And he's kind of giving um, examples of, 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 of what this looks like and how this, this truth can't be true. And, but then he gets down to, they're all, they're all looking and watching all these miracles that Jesus is performing, and they're still wanting something more. And so here's what we get in verse 38. It says, Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. He's been giving them signs. Left and right, you know, it's like, he's, it's like he's a circus boy. Like, come on, show us, show us something else now, Jesus. Show us something else that you can do so we can really believe that you're the Messiah. And he says, he answered, A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And now something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom, and now something greater than Solomon is here. So I want to get into this Jonah passage a little bit to understand what the sign, so I don't know if I'd ask you that question, what is the sign of Jonah? I'm going to try to help you answer that. But as we answer that, we're going to, I need to answer a couple other questions first. So um, we must first remember a little bit about the book of Jonah. So what happened to Jonah to get him to do what he was supposed to do? Come on, this was Sunday school 101. I'm going to get somebody that maybe hasn't answered a question yet. Go ahead, Donna. What did he get? There, she corrected it. <laughs> no, everybody, that's like the newest thing. I don't know. That started happening like right when I got started getting into Bible college. They all started correcting. They, everybody started correcting. It's not a whale. It's a fish. It's not a whale. It's a big fish. Stop saying it's a fish. Stop saying it's a whale. <laughs> this, because, just because the Greek, and because, well, you, 
Okay, I can give you a long, boring answer that would make you, that, that when Vaticanus and Sinaiticus came out, the, the language was a little bit different. Anyway, so they corrected the original Greek language was there was actually a fish. A very good answer, a fish. He got swallowed up by a huge fish. He, and why did he even get, why, remember why he got out of the boat? Remember why he had to get out of the boat? Stephanie? Yeah, but he didn't just jump in the water on his own admission. Yeah, why did they throw him overboard? Yes, because the storm came. And even, so here's what's kind of funny about what's happening in even the Jonah stories that you have Jonah's, Jonah's obviously a Jew, he's a Hebrew, okay? And he's with non Hebrew people on this boat. And all this storm comes on, and they have this sense of God or the gods. And they're crying to the gods to stop this storm. And then they, they understand that Jonah has a different God than they do. And they automatically have reverence for his God and what his God can do. And Jonah's saying, yeah, it's me. Um, this is all because of my God. You need to throw me into the sea. Well, we can't do that because then we'll kill you. He's like, I don't, you guys need to do this or you're all going to die. And you need to trust and believe my God because that's what's happening here. So even in that little case, the Gentiles, non-Hebrew, non-Jewish people, have a greater faith in Jonah's God than Jonah does. And they throw Jonah over the water and the, the, and the ship, and it, it all stops. And so Jonah ends up, so he ends up in Nineveh, and the question is, how did the Ninevites respond to Jonah's message? How did the Ninevites respond to Jonah's message? They repented. Now that is a radical, ridiculous statement because... There's not a lot of commentary in this book because what was assumed is that everybody knew how sick and ridiculous the Assyrians were. You know what the Assyrians used to do? Like they had all these different sadistic ways to torture people, and they were so sadistic that they would they would make statues. They would actually make statues of their sick ways to torture people. So that when you would come into their town, you would see this statue like, yeah, this is what we do to you if you get out of line. And it was just like a culture of fear. It was just like a culture of wickedness, and, and the Jews were repulsed by the Ninevites, repulsed by the Assyrians, and that is exactly why Jonah didn't want to go. Jonah did not want to go to Nineveh, and now when you read into the text, some people, and this is bad theology, some people think that Jonah was scared to go to Nineveh. He wasn't. He didn't want, he didn't want God to have compassion on these people. That's how much he hated these people, and so... Um, Jonah does what he Jonah does what he's called to do, and the Ninevites, the wicked, twisted, messed up Ninevites, realize that they need to change. It's a beautiful paradox in the story of Jonah, because here's this religious guy, this religious prophet, that is a man of God that's supposed to be doing what the Lord wants him to do. And the Lord gives him a simple command, and he can't do it. But then he goes to wicked, twisted, messed up, evil people, and all he has to come and do is say the word that you need to repent, and the Lord's going to bring about judgment upon this city. They don't give a rip about Jonah. But something happens. The Lord moves in their heart, and they realize that they need to change, and they change. And so with that comparison that I just gave you, what might Jesus be saying to the Pharisees through this parallel when he says the sign of Jonah? Go ahead, Bruce. Pulls them to get out of their comfort 
they would like to minister to, but maybe it's some undesirables. Yes, well... Yes, and so remember how we set, this was set up. The Pharisees are asking for yet another sign. I've already showed you many signs. Now, what Jesus is saying is it's in your court. You need to change. All you're going to get now is an opportunity again and again to repent. Just as Jonah went into the belly of the fish, um, Jesus will go into the belly of the earth and be crucified. So there's that parallel. Um, but now it's going to be a point of repentance. And church, we have to hear this message because we like to put our, remember I say this all the time, we like to put ourselves in the, in the good person category. Well, I'm the one that would repent when Jonah came to my town. Oh, we'll stop. I'm with you, Jonah. I'm not like the religious person that resists you when you tell me something that I know I need to do. Come on. But really honest, a lot of times we're in the category of the Pharisees. And the message of Jesus to the religious people in this context is that at some point the signs are over. You've heard enough Bible teaching. You know what the Lord is calling you to do. You've heard it. You've had it put to you through preaching on Sunday mornings. You've had it put to you to someone that counsels you in your life. You've had it put to you through watching how this thing that you're hanging on to is destroying you and other people, and yet you're still waiting for a sign to know what God wants you to do? Signs are over. It's time to repent. It's time to change. And Jesus is saying, I'm talking to you. It's time for you to recognize who it is that is in front of you, that I am who I say that I am, and now... There's no more for me. It's time for you to respond. And that's the way the Lord works in our lives time and time again as well. And I sense that many of you are, 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 are I think that's a great point to end on. I don't know. I didn't get any questions that were. <laughs> and and I, I want to just stop and finish right there before we do our offering. So right at this moment, every head bowed and every eye closed. You've heard enough sermons. Perhaps you've watched enough Christian movies. You've seen enough little Christian taglines on Facebook. You've had others speak into your life. You know this thing that you've kept, you keep hanging on to. Now it's time to say yes to what the Lord is asking you to do. Look, we're not going to have a come forward altar or anything, but right now across this room with no heads no, uh, uh, no one looking around. If you feel the Lord is speaking to you, you know exactly what that is. As your way of responding to the word of God that we have exercised in community today, will you just lift up your hand and say yes to the Lord right now if that's you? Thank you. 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 All across this room, your brothers and sisters are saying yes to being obedient to the Lord. And Lord, for everyone that has lifted up their, your hand, they are confessing that they hear your voice and now it is time to respond. So Lord, I pray your hand upon them. I pray your Holy Spirit bring about conviction and empower them to take the next step that they need to take today, tomorrow, the next day, as you have led them and as you have called them. 
But now, today is the day to change. Today is the day to say yes to you. And so, Lord, as they take that step out, may they sense a greater uh, a burden, a greater sense of your presence and be reminded that the presence of God is in them. The word of God is not meant to be outside as words on a page, but as we prayed in the beginning, living water from within that we always possess, always have access to, and always have the ability to distribute. So living water run through us, convict us, allow us to to impart life to others. May we do what you've called us to do today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. a benediction today because we're going to let the Lord speak to us. But may you recognize what the Lord is calling you to do today. May you see God moving right in front of you and remove the distractions that keep you from seeing how he's moving. And may today be the day that you do as the Lord has called you to and bring about change in your life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Come to bring peace with a sword. Yep.